Welcome to the Novice No Longer podcast, episode one. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the Novice No Longer podcast. This podcast is the first in a long line of things to come for Novice No Longer. So if you're listening to this, if you've been reading my blog, you're definitely going to want to keep tuning in to see what's coming up because I don't really want to talk about it yet, but there's some pretty cool stuff and I'm really excited about the next few months for Novice No Longer. So make sure you're definitely checking back, sign up for my newsletter so that you get all the updates and you know exactly what's going on. So for this very first episode of the podcast, I brought on the lead iOS developer at a startup here in New York called LearnVest, and his name is Will Larch. And I wanted to bring him on specifically because I get a lot of questions from students who coming into this, they they think that they want to learn how to code. Now, generally in my class, what I teach is that you don't need to learn how to code in order to make an app. You, You can, like if you want to be able to code an application, obviously you need to learn how to code. But if you just wanna make an app, you can always outsource that. But I always have some students who do want to learn how to code. And for me, myself, I did wanna learn to code for a while and I started getting into it. And Will is somebody who taught himself to code as an adult. He came from a completely different background. He majored in music and he writes musicals, really talented. He actually wrote the intro for this podcast that you're listening to right now. So a talented guy and he taught himself how to learn when he was 28 years old with no prior programming background. And now he's a lead iOS developer at a startup. It gets featured in the app store all the time. It's a really great budgeting software where they actually use personal finance experts to help you create a budget. So if you haven't heard of LearnVest, if you like Mint or if you don't like Mint because Mint is kind of, they don't really tell you what to do. They just kind of give you the information and go here, set it up. But LearnVest, they actually help you out. I've used it. It's great. So I wanted to him to bring Will onto the podcast in order to talk about his experience learning how to code. So if any of you out there want to learn how to code, but you are in a completely different field, it kind of seems scary, you don't know where to start, this will be incredibly helpful. We also talk a little bit about user experience and different aspects of teaching and creating good apps. So even if you don't want to learn how to code and you do want to build applications, this will still be helpful to you. So. Without further ado, I'm gonna jump right into the podcast and I'm gonna bring on Will. And again, enjoy the podcast, subscribe, go onto iTunes and rate this, it would be really helpful to me. And uh, yeah, here you go. So today with me, I have Will Larch, who is an iOS developer over at LearnVest. And really exciting, they just released their iPad app now, right? We did. We worked on it really hard for months, and uh, we just released it, and uh, it got a great reception from uh, all our users, and Apple has been promoting it, so we're very excited. Yeah, I saw it all over the App Store, which is awesome, so congratulations on that. Thank Um, you very much. One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is you've actually helped me a lot with my app and Reader Tracker, and you were there to actually help me submit it into the App Store, which I tried to do myself, and it was very difficult. It's a crazy process. But the coolest thing about you and now working as a professional iOS developer is that you 
started like you learned how to program as an adult and like that was something that you taught yourself and then you broke into the app world and now you're working on it professionally and i know that i have a lot of listeners and a lot of readers who are currently in not related fields to technology but they have an idea for an application or they want they know that technology is kind of like the future and that's where they want to be and so I don't always tell people to learn how to program, but that is one of the paths to take. So tell me about kind of what life was like before programming and what you learned by starting to get into it, I guess. Well, I mean, for lack of a better word, I was impotent for my own future. There was nothing that I could really... I, I work in the arts that that's, you know, where I got my degree in, and it's it can be very frustrating when you're an artist to work very, very hard and get nowhere. But it's quite the opposite in technology where you work really, really hard and you can actually go places. You can do things and people respond to your work and you're in demand and you're not begging for jobs. It's, it's been wonderful. It was really hard work, really, really hard work at, for a year. But, you know, now it's sitting pretty and you can just do whatever, you know. I can... <laughs> I can have a living now that I couldn't have had before, so I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Now, one of the things I picked up on, and I know some of my readers or listeners might have too, is you said in a year that there was like it was really hard work, but it was for a year. What did you do in that year? Because I know that there's a lot of people listening to this that'll be like, "I want to be in a different place in one year," and like it, it always seems like it's not something you can do. How did you do that? Well, uh, I took a couple basic computer programming classes. I took a class on C, which is um, kind of like the Latin of all computer languages. So it was very useful for me to learn what computer programming was, um, even if it wasn't the language specifically that I was going to be working in uh, or that I wanted to work in. It was still teaching me something that I didn't know before. I didn't know anything about programming, but I thought it was cool. And it, and it was hard to kind of to learn programming it can be a different way of thinking but um you'll find or anybody most people say that once you've learned one language it's very easy to pick up all the other ones because they're all very similar in their in their syntax especially if you started with a c-based language like c so and then you know taking a couple classes at night at nyu or you know which is a continuing ed program here in the city but there are lots of continuing ed programs that teach some sort of basic intro computer programming class that gave me the confidence I needed to then go teach myself um, what I specifically wanted to do, which in my case was um, iPhone development. You could, of course, pick up something else. You could be a back-end developer, front-end developer, but and it's very good to focus on one because um, really people hire masters of things. That's what we do um, in, in most startups and, and businesses is look for somebody that says, yes, I know everything to know about this. Let me take care of it. Don't worry about it. Even though oftentimes they'll say like, oh, it'd be great if you know a little bit about everything. It's true. It's good to be educated about everything, but it's, it's always still good to be an expert on one thing. Now, what drew you to the iPhone specifically? I don't know, except that I had one and that I loved it. I mean, iPhones were still very new. Well, I guess they are still very new. In the, in the, in the, <laughs> technically, they don't feel like it anymore. Um, but I don't know. They were very pretty, and they did things in... They did computers. They're just little computers, but they're computers that have done things in a pretty way that's fun, that I felt like 
talk to me. Some people, I'm sure, feel the web talks to them. But to me, it was like these little applications in my pocket. I could wrap my head around that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to. And I'm lucky that I chose it because it's a very lucrative market right now. There aren't very many mobile developers. And a lot of traditional computer science people are turned off by working for someone so strict as... I'm not working for Apple, but working in their ecosystem where they make a lot of the decisions for you. So it's a very good career choice right now and. That's the kind of feedback that helped me keep going, you know? Yeah, and speaking about Apple being kind of more stricter than a lot of the other stuff, I think that actually makes things a lot easier, especially for it's people... Very, it's, it's a very easy... Like, it's hard to learn. Yeah. But once you are learned, they're, they've got the whole world in their hands and they'll help you. Yeah, well, Apple just makes students like, okay, well, we've made the decision. This is what Apple... We as a company, Apple, believe is the best choice. And I mean, you can always have arguing and different opinions, but they're very intelligent. They've done and they've done their research. Like this is the best way, and they're like, okay, well, this is how you do it. Yeah, and some people that worked with my personality because a lot of people who traditionally go into computer science are very engineer minded and like to focus on something small. I guess they'd rather be, um, I don't know, a plumber working on just the pipes of the house, just one part of building a mansion, whereas I want to build the whole thing and not have to worry about the pipes. Apple takes care of the pipes for me. It's really interesting. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about your background, too, because you do music. And I actually saw a musical that <laughs> you co-wrote and produced, and it was amazing. That's what I got my degree in, yeah. You got your degree, exactly. And I know a lot of other developers or programmers that also have a background in music i feel like they are connect do you feel like there's any connection there that helped you or not at all no not at all really like that um because and and the reason why i say that is is because i don't and i also wouldn't (laughs) want anyone to get turned off thinking like oh well i'm not a musicy kind of person so i you know computer programming wouldn't be right for me. You don't have to find anything in your life that is similar to being a computer programmer or um, a technology entrepreneur in order to go ahead and do it. Aside from the fact that all you have to do is be driven and want something and not give up on it. If you're a really lazy person, then then I don't know what your <laughs> future holds <laughs> in America these days. But um, And, you know, I don't know. Some people do say that music is good for, for learning and stuff like that, but I think they just did a study that came out that said it doesn't help children's brains develop at all. I did see that. So, yeah, I did see that. That's funny. Um, so you started programming. You said you started with C, and you took a class, like a nighttime continuing education class. Yeah, before, once a week. It was great. Before moving on to Objective-C, which Objective-C is a language that iOS applications are written in, just uh-huh. like Android is Java with a bunch of... Android, Google, yeah, other, other stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so you started with C rather than Objective-C. And I, I tried to learn, like, I've learned a little bit of Objective-C. I can't actually write a program myself, but I know it enough to understand it. And that's thanks to you and the book Programming in Objective-C by Stephen Cochin. And I'll put that in the show notes, too. Totally recommend it. It's a great book. Yeah, but why and did I you start... from his C book. Yeah, why did you start with C rather than Objective-C? Honestly, it was by accident. Um, that's the class that was offered. They didn't offer one on Objective-C. Um, they offered an iPhone programming class that had the prerequisite of taking classes like a C class or a Java class or some sort of basic programming class. So, you know, I started with the basic pro- They could do a basic programming class in Objective-C. They just weren't. Um, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, you start in any of those and you're, you're in the right direction. 
just learning. I mean, it's like learning how to make sentences, learning how to make sounds with your mouth. That's essentially what you're doing when you take any basic programming class. And then you can move on to singing in whatever language your opera is written in. Yeah, that, that was exactly my experience, too, because I know that when I was like, I want to learn how to program. I picked up a couple of books on Objective-C and then you read stuff and I saw people mentioning Ruby on Rails everywhere and I was like, well, maybe I want to learn Rails instead of Objective-C and so I kind of got distracted in that direction then everybody was talking about Python and Django as the web framework and I was just really distracted because I wasn't making progress in any area so I was kind of going all over and it it was once that I got through that programming in objective c book which is the first objective c book that I found that doesn't require a previous understanding of programming because that that was a killer for me they were like previous programming experience required and I'm like well I don't yeah. have that where do I start yeah. um but once I kind of got through that first book like Programming is a way of thinking, and each language that you learn is a learning, applying that same concept to the new language. Yes. I mean, that's true. I mean, and um, to kind of go along with your experience, I would recommend to anybody that they focus more than you did, Dan. Yeah. Moving around from thing to thing. Well, yeah, and I was more focused <laughs> on products rather than actually learning how to code. Well, you know? yes, you were more interested. I mean, oftentimes um, things are really split up between product and implementation, and it's it's very good for product people to understand the technology sides of things so they don't make d- demands that are, um, you know, ne- never going to come true, which occasionally happens, especially when people, like, um, I've worked in jobs where people came from another kind of business to working in software and said, well, I don't understand why this has to take so long to build X, Y, and Z. If we're just going to be throwing it away in three months, then we should just build the, the you know, the paper version. We're like, there is no paper version of software for this sort of thing we're doing. So it's great when product people can really understand that. I'm lucky enough to have a job now where I'm actually the product owner too for mobile. So I am an engineer who's running the product department and, and making the decisions. And um, that is a great place to be where I guess, I guess I could have gone and been a product person being a, you know, having the gift of the gab and I had an idea for things and being a dreamer and working in the arts and being creative. But instead I went engineering and now, I mean, like I get to run the whole show and it's very convenient. I don't have to go through anybody to make a decision about things. And if I had an idea for an app, I could just build it today. Yeah. With the designer. That's the one thing I don't have. Did the design. I mean, we have designers at work. I'm just saying, like, I'm not a designer. <laughs> and for basic applications, too, they got the default user interface elements you can always drag on there. Yeah, but you'll never get love from Apple using those. Why do you say that? Well, they... Apple expects you to have a designer working for you and to take things to the next level. I mean, it's very good for people to be able to just get their proof of concept up there and running and to, you know, quick and dirty, like, oh, this works. But then you really should go back and spend a lot of time worrying about the user experience and worrying about the user interface with someone who's a professional in that field. Yeah, it, yeah, making those little tiny subtle details and things like that really can change the feel of an application. I consulted for um, a company recently that had a version of their app half built when they came to me. And I looked at it and I said, well, this is fine, but it's using um, very skeuomorphic art, which some people like. And this company has built their entire look around it on the web where people aren't as picky and fashion oriented as they are in um 
iOS land. Especially because of iOS 7, and that changed everything. Yeah, and so, oh, like, at work, we um, we pushed out... Uh, we haven't yet pushed out our, our new flat version, and one person has already complained on the uh, the App Store. As soon as iOS 7 came out, they're like, well, when are you guys going to go flat? <laughs> we're like, we're getting there, we're getting there. People don't understand how much work it takes, especially if you do the custom artwork, too, because you got to redesign everything 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 and and we have a very custom app i mean if anybody wants to go look at our app it's it's learnvest l-e-a-r-n-v-e-s-t and our iphone app is completely bespoke from top to bottom even things that that look like they would they come from other things tabs um navigation bars they're not we built them out completely from scratch so that we could have complete control over them yeah so yeah it's a big undertaking for a big company like us to go back and redo the app and just to give people kind of an understanding if you don't have an understanding of how difficult and how much like manual stuff you have to do one of the things that really surprised me is we were working on reader tracker and you know how like if you have a text field you tap into the text field and then the keyboard comes up yeah apple doesn't handle that for you no and you have to like code in how high the actual screen moves up so you can still see what you're writing on otherwise the keyboard will pop up and it'll cover the text field and you won't be able to see what you're writing that's manual it's very difficult for some people to learn um, to make applications because they'll see things like that and get frustrated and give up but I would just like to say to anybody that's going out and making their own iPhone app and seeing something stupid like the uh, the keyboard coming up and it getting in the way that you know stick with it everybody has the same problem everybody's gotten through it and the internet is full of answers to help you get past yeah it. stack exchange just going to google and google like how do I do this but it, it's amazing because you don't know what to ask a lot of time like if that popped up I'd be like why is it behaving weird like I wouldn't realize that oh, that was something it's that was normal <laughs> exactly so it's insane um, talk to me a little bit about when you knew that you were ready to apply to an actual programming job because it's one thing to like take classes and to mess around on your own and Wait, then no, it's funny whenever you when you if you finish a good class it should leave you feeling prepared when I finished my course in um, C even though I wasn't quite ready for a job, I was ready for an internship, and I knew it, and I felt like it, and I went and I talked myself into one through, you know, I knew somebody that worked at a company that did software, so I talked to her, and then they got me in the door, and guess what? Everybody probably knows somebody that works in some sort of software company, and if they don't, all they have to do is go on LinkedIn, search for recruiters, and they'll help you find, I mean, like, a, a, recruiters are the people that help people get jobs they're like agents but for people in technology and they will want to forge relationships with you over a long period of time and may be able to help you get an internship somewhere too which are often paid mm-hmm. um so i felt prepared because my class was complete but then you went and you taught yourself Even though i wasn't ready to make software i knew enough to be useful to this company in some way yeah and they had and interns are, you know, often left alone so that you can keep practicing. And that's what I did. I practiced for, you know, months. Yeah. When you say actually doing the work, it means actually like being I, at the job and, and not dicking around. People go, oh, well, like, I don't know what kind of app to build. Like, okay, so you're the engineer type and you don't know what to do. Everybody's got an idea. Go help somebody. Go help a not-for-profit. I helped the shelter around the street from my house. That's how. That was the first app that I built. I remember, yeah. Um, 
so, you know, there's always somebody's already got an idea. It doesn't have to turn into Twitter in order for it to be worthwhile if you learned enough, because then you can take that first app that you made and get a junior developer job. You really can. Yeah, because you use that, you're like, this is my portfolio. I built this. That's what I did. I had one app under my belt and then was able to get the job that eventually led me to being the leader. Yeah. Um, So you talked about, you took the class on C. What programming, what internship did you look for with that skill? Like you had a class on C under your belt, like, what kind of an internship did you get? Or I got an internship at a company that does general software, and they knew they do they they did enterprise software. So people send them specifications for the applications they want made, and then they build them and hand them off. They're what we call an agency. But I sure wasn't exact. I wouldn't have been useful as a C programmer to them because there aren't going to be C applications anymore than there are going to be new books written in Latin. I'm sure somebody's doing it, but they're not for the masses. Um, but they looked at it the same way. They're like, okay, this guy wants to be an iPhone developer. He's on the right track. And if we needed him to do something web in the meanwhile, well, he knows some programming here and he's proven that he can do some. That's enough for him to learn something if we needed it. I mean, all you have to do is just prove that you're in that world. You're over the hump. You know, Mm -hmm. I knew something about software. So so if an emergency came up and I had to learn JavaScript, which would happen and did happen, then I did. No big deal, you know? I had to do whatever was asked of me. It was so much faster to learn JavaScript now that you had C, right? So much faster, yeah. Yeah. But you could even start with JavaScript. That could be your first language. And then when somebody wants to do something in Java, which are different for you readers out there. <laughs> even though they sound exact, they're not even based, they don't even look the same. They're not related at all. It's just like, it's a coincidence that it's Java and JavaScript. I remember when I first started looking into it, I was like, really? That, that's so odd. That? No, there's literally, the story is that there's not a story. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it, very strange. But I know in terms of JavaScript, they've got websites like Codecademy, which I know Codecademy, um, it's actually Codecademy, not Code Academy, which is different. But Codecademy.com has the free online courses and when they launched all they had was javascript they didn't offer all the other languages they have now yeah that's a a web-based application it goes along with html and css which are kind of like make up a trio of front-end developer um, languages or they're really not even uh, css and html aren't really languages so much yeah but um yeah and you can even use it for the back end now with things like uh, Node and Backbone and and stuff. You can make entire applications out of JavaScript. Yeah, well, that's what our fantastic developers at work do. Where they're JavaScript masters, and then they can just. Then we've created an entire business. I mean, our whole web business is based out of that. You know. Yeah, I remember. And Java on the back end. Yeah, because I was. When I was kind of struggling with learning how to code and I was saying that I was getting distracted because I wanted to learn this and then I wanted to learn this other language and I was looking at all of them. Um, One of the things I did was JavaScript through Codecademy and I did, uh, I would try Objective-C in a bunch of different classes and failed with that. And I also tried Michael Hartle's Rails tutorial where if anybody wants to learn Ruby on Rails, this online free tutorial is amazing and it walks you through and by the end you build an application that functions like twitter it's absolutely fantastic and i'll put that in the show notes as well and i remember taking the classes on codecademy and learning about arrays and learning about all this those kind of things and then when i was taking 
something on Ruby and I was learning about Objective-C doing the same functionality like arrays but seeing them in the different languages and that kind of solidified it at least for me that okay this is a concept of something and then different languages have different ways of doing it it's it's literally like english where like you have the concept of greeting somebody and then you have like hello hola like there's all the different ways to say it that's really what programming is yep yeah and that's why people are able to bounce around between things i mean there's going to be a day probably where iPhone development is obsolete and I want to switch my career. Well, I am not, I mean, I'm nervous about the fact that I'll have to spend some time getting used to whatever the next thing I'm going to do is, but at least I know I can do it and it won't take me nearly as long as it did to, uh, to get here. In fact, my, uh, my iOS master was a Flash developer, Eric Schulte, who's amazing. Um, he works at this cool startup called Cover, that where you um, are able to pay for your food without having to um, get a check. Interesting. Yeah, it's for high-end restaurants. But people. Oh, I did see that. I saw that in the news recently. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. So. And he was a Flash developer for years and years and years, and then saw the writing on the wall about Flash and said, "I'm going to be an (laughs) iPhone developer." Yeah. And it was no big deal for him to pick it up. (coughs) Yeah, that was. It was interesting because I've taken. A lot of people, when they think of programming, the very first thing is they think of a computer science degree. Because when you think of yeah, I don't traditional... know anything about computer science. Yeah, and and not that I knock it, but like there are people who specialize in that, and and you know they're the ones I think of as real hardcore engineers, and they're the ones that will do machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence and really cool stuff like that, which we need at all of these jobs as well. But you don't have to have a computer science degree to be a developer. Yeah, it's no. a separate skill. Um, cause I remember that was one of the hardest things for me to learn because after I kind of had a basic understanding of objective C, like I was okay with it. I decided to take, uh, the computer engineering class at general assembly. And so I signed up for that and I took it and it was really interesting. And I, it made me understand a lot of the concepts better, but it was interesting because computer science is like philosophy, but for computers, whereas it's not like the, yes, like, here's what to do. If you take music theory, you're not going to learn how to play the piano. Exactly. And it's the exact same concept in terms of computer science. Um, and like walking out, it's very similar, like it'll give you the tools that you need to be able to pick up a language quickly. Just like if you learned one computer language, you'll be able to like sit down with like a weekend and a good book and power through that and like have a different language that you understand. And then you practice that and then you'll get better at it and so on. But if you don't have any programming experience, you won't be able to sit down in a weekend and get anything ever. It'll take hard work. Mm -hmm. So... LearnVest just released the iPad application, and I, I know that a lot of people are kind of confused when they see an iPhone. They're like, well, why don't you have an iPad? And they're kind of two very separate things. How, how did that process go, and how is it different, like the iPhone and the iPad? Well, um, it was a hard process from the start because we, we knew we had to get it out by Christmas, uh, that's kind of like our busy season. So um, we started doing all of our research on, you know, I'm lucky to have a fantastic uh, UX team. We have people who specialize just in user testing in the office. And we also have fantastic designers who go out and and learn everything they can about existing products in the world and existing paradigms and then put them all in their brain and see what would work best for us. 
And so the the kind of conception process was very long for us before we could even begin building it. And when we did begin building it, we had to take on actually some three extra developers in order to, to finish it. Because if anybody goes and looks at our app, it's like a, a monstrous labyrinth of of all sorts of features and features and features. We were just a very big product. And we couldn't really reuse much from our iPhone app, especially since our iPhone app is now so, um, you know, it, it needs to change and be flatter. You know, we wouldn't want to even keep some of the views. And nor would we want to, because we were really thinking, and Apple encourages this too, about how you can make choices for the device you're working on. And people use iPads in a very different way than they use iPhones. People sit with their iPad for a session. They will get on their couch, take it out, and hang out there for an hour or longer. Whereas people use their iPhones on the go. I'm waiting for the elevator. I'm waiting for the train. Oh, you know, I'm just popping it out while I'm at my desk real quick and then putting it away. I got a text. Let me deal with that. So we... When we're thinking about our product and going forward, we're making some more changes to take advantage of this. We think as iPhone as a short burst product, as iPad as a long session product. So you, anybody, you wouldn't want to just do the same thing on both because then you're letting your users down and they won't have a satisfying experience or have the things that they necessarily want right in front of them. So that was so they're they're very different products even though they have the same functionality. It's very funny that way, you know? So how does that influence the product or the end result then? Like if you're sitting down, because that is definitely the case. If I was sitting down with my iPad, it's going to be for a session. That's a good way to put it. How does that influence the design of what you're doing, I guess? With the iPad, we kind of want to give people um, a sl- well, not slower in like response time, but the ability to sit and do something for a while with more. Like, we'll put more information all in one place, which makes sense, because also you have the bigger screen, so you can put more things together. And we created this... uh, We have the Action Program, which is kind of like... It's our Weight Watchers for your wallet, where you work with your financial planner to go through the seven different steps that we have set out. And so we laid out all the seven steps with kind of like interactive graphs and things that people can sit and really ponder over as opposed to just flashing through. When people are on their iPhone, we have everything um, to go in the one place that they need it. Like, I'm just going there to add a cash transaction. Well, you don't even have to put in your passcode to get into there. Whereas on the iPad app, we expect people to put in their passcode, sit there for a while, and really understand their money in a way that they didn't the day before. That's, That's what we're thinking about there. We... So things are, I don't know, we put more into it. There's a lot more to do, and it's not, we're not laying them out for speed. We're laying them out for discovery. Now, that's a lot like web then, I would say. It's very much like web. And yet, users are still different than web. It's really its own thing. Um, You know, we have a, a, a big desktop user base and we have a big iPhone user base and now we're developing this iPad user base because they're our newest users and we're already seeing that they we thought they might behave a lot like um, desktop users that have the same needs and wants as they do and yet they don't we're still learning people I guess now that people are bringing the tablet onto the couch or into the bed or wherever they are and by having no keyboard I don't know I mean people are just behave differently on tablets than they do even on laptops or 
or on you know your iMac. Do you guys have any data on like which users spend time? Like, will you have a user that majority of the time they spend on their iPad versus users that are majority on the computer and stuff? Like, do you have those numbers, or do you, are you aware of them? We are. We're actually crunching those right now. Okay. We're, we're still acquiring that information. But one of the things that we that we have found is that usually wherever we acquire a user is where they end up spending the most time. If they're a person that comes in on the web, they're more likely to stay on the web. A person that comes on the iPhone is more likely to stay on the iPhone. In fact, we often find that iPhone users don't like to go to the web. That, that people who discover apps are not the kinds of people that go to their computer and do website stuff. It's interesting. It's very funny. I, I wonder, that makes me curious, because I wonder if those people that are first downloading the app and then not using the web i wonder if it's that same percentage that discover it on the web and then download the app or if like you start on the web then you would use the app more than if you start on the app how the amount that you use the web well you know we think of there are two different experiences that users have yeah there are complementary experiences and exclusive experiences so if, for instance, I have my Facebook app on my phone and Facebook the website, and I might go to <clears throat> Facebook the website and spend more time there, but if I you know, am out and about and have an idea for a Facebook status, I'm just going to whip out my iPhone and do a status right there. Yeah. I'm not going to wait to get back. So that's a complimentary experience. There are people, however, who will do their entire Facebook experience on the iPhone and will never go to the web. Yeah, I know people like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We... Where I'm changing my thinking, whereas before I used to worry about, like, well, which one is the bigger pool? And then we'll cater to them, and that's it. But now we're realizing that, no, people are personalizing their behavior and not falling into one bucket anymore. And so if we're the kind of company we are that that caters to all kinds of people, then we're going to have to have experiences that cater to all the kinds of people. We're going to have to have, um, you know, a complimentary experience and an exclusive experience. So if somebody wants to do everything just on their iPhone, they won't be frustrated, you know? I think that that's actually good news for a lot of people that have ideas for apps, too, because I know one of the... The big concerns is you're thinking about doing a service, you envision it as an application, but then you're like, well, people might want to use this on a computer. But I think it it gives more hope for just mobile-based only services. Like you have, I think those are getting more and more. I think Instagram was the first big one where it was like, it's only on the iPhone. You can't do it on the web. And that was like a big deal um, when that first came out. Is there an Instagram website? There is now. But but it's only, you can only browse. You can't actually like post pictures or do anything. But yeah, when Instagram (laughs) first launched, it was only on iPhone, which upset all of the Android people. But I mean, there's no money in Android. So that's why nobody goes there. And then... That, the, that was the big deal. They were like, is Instagram going to survive as only mobile? And it just really did. Now you have like, there's Hotel Tonight, and then there's a new one for flights. I forget the name of it. But there's a lot of services that are catering specifically to mobile-only people. And the fact that if a person discovers it on the mobile, they don't really go on the website very much. That's what we're actually pretty promising for mobile developers and stuff. It is. I, it can also be, I can see, frustrating for product people because you want to limit the amount of money that you have to pay for 
um, cross-platform compatibility. Yeah. It's easier. It, the world was easier when you just had to make your website, but the world was never that way. You had a website and a store before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People used to have to have a building that they had to pay for and retail staff for almost anything that you can imagine. You would still have to print out brochures or anything like that and have a mailing list, whereas nowadays, well... So you move to the web, and you probably also have to be on mobile and support the book, two of them. And we were just talking about this at work. We have someone who works for us that um, uh, that has been in marketing for a long time, and she was talking about how a project that's going to cost $50,000 today in um, dealing with CRM costs $30 million 10 years ago when she was doing things. So even though it can be frustrating that we have to move faster and a lot more is disposable now, everything is still vastly cheaper to create a company than it used to be. Yeah. Maybe you can't just be some hyper-local guy opening up a lemonade stand, but you can open up a lemonade stand that hits the entire world and then hopefully offset your costs enough that you can have it on all platforms. Yeah, and that's one of the things that really, it's taken away a lot of the excuses that people used to have. They're like, I would start a business, but I can't afford X, Y, or Z, and now you can. And it's funny because the one thing that I've noticed is that everybody thinks that ideas are much more valuable than they are. So, like, I have a really good idea, and then they'll go around, and the first thing they'll do is they'll start trying to find a, a technical co-founder, or they'll try to find investment, or they'll, they'll go this route, and more it's like, no, if you have a good idea, you should go out there and find your customers, find the people that are going to use it, and start, like, taking money, and... There's so many different ways that you can do that now, whether it not even like just Kickstarter. It's just like creating a website and taking pre-orders or collecting people's email addresses that they're interested. Like there's so many ways to like start getting those users or people still like they won't do that and they'll start focusing on building the product. Yeah. And I know that there is also the trade-off that we sell things far cheaper today in if they're software-based than we ever have before. So you have to have a lot of volume, and you have to deal with the fact that technology really screwed it for everybody for having 10 years of free services. We've essentially had a decade where people haven't paid for things, and so as new things ask people to pay for things, people are getting pissy. But I think... As we see in music, people get over that eventually. You know, we had free music for some years, and then people were like, no, you have to pay for this again. You know, the music industry was just behind the curve, but they've caught up now. And people really do pay for a lot of music now on iTunes and other places. People go, I mean, think about Beyonce's album. Like, she's still setting record sales, you know. Sure, not the same way that it used to be before. I think one of the big things about, especially the music, is you have to make... Paying for it easier than downloading it for free. And that was a big thing that I saw with the music stuff was that every, all the music was behind lock and key. It was behind DRM. You had to go buy an album. And like if you wanted one song that you liked, you had to buy 11 other songs that you didn't even know if well, you liked God, yet. Well, Apple always had an opinion about that. Exactly. But that, that's what the music industry was really fighting for is they wanted to be able to sell those 11 songs along with the one rather than just the one because... And that's completely changed the entire music industry because all mu music is trying to do now is get the one-hit wonder. It's no longer about like the album experience. It's about like the one song that you hear. Which is also very hypocritical of them because how many uh, you know single forty-fives were sold over the you know twentieth century? Yeah, you know, 
millions. But even if you bought like a CD single, you had like two or three other songs that they threw in there. Like, please, please yeah, like I these two. That only had one other song. On really? The back of them. Yeah, I remember getting Sir Mixlot's "Baby Got Back," and on the back was "Cake Boy." Yeah, but with the mute or with uh, apps and what Apple has done, I mean, Apple is really, really taking charge with first the music and now apps and doing the thing where, okay, apps usually cost 99 cents or they're free and they have in-app purchases or whatever the model is. Uh, Updates are free. That's what Apple does. So if you want to release a new version, basically you have to write a new application and sell it again. Mm-hmm. And they're encouraging everybody. They're like, software should be cheaper. I mean, they took all of their super, super expensive, uh, like Final Cut Pro and all these other like professional level applications and put them for sale for super cheap consumer level prices. And yeah, I mean, that's just, they're changing how this all works and so with the consequences of all this free software i can understand that it can be you know catch 22 like we really need to make a new product for so and so but we can't charge for it you know it can be prohibitive for some companies so you know my advice to anybody who has an idea for an app is to think about how it plays into something that people have to buy as opposed to being the thing that they have to buy there will always be a bit of a marketplace for the paid app that people want for the one feature that it does and it's worth the 99 cents or more that they're paying for it. But that market is getting very saturated and requires a level of innovation that I wonder if it's going to slow down. I mean, how much more can people do with apps that they're not doing right now? But there's a lot that people can do with apps that relate to things in the real world or to real corporeal products or like in the case of LearnVest, you know, a financial plan and financial planner completely revolutionizes and disrupts an industry that that's always been just, you know, stuffy men in, in suits. But by using software to go along with that, you're able to get it into people's hands. And it's not about the software. The software is just a delivery mechanism for something important to people. Yeah. That they are willing to pay for. Yeah. And that's exactly what well Amazon is doing with their Kindle Fire because right. they're I mean like, the, like Amazon is a is a company that is still making its money off of physical goods. Mm-hmm. They're working on these drones now to deliver physical goods. They're not working on on ways to turn all physical things into software. But I mean the Kindle Fire, they're making like no money off of that. And the way that they make their money is now that you have a Kindle Fire, you're buying movies, you're buying music, you're buying apps, and you're buying into the Amazon ecosystem. And that's why Mavericks OS X for Apple was completely free this year. And because it's once you download their latest operating system, then if you're the person that's going to be having that, you're also going to be buying all of the other apps, the movies and music. And Apple gets 30 percent across the board for all of that. Just profit margin is actually on their hardware. Yeah, the hardware. Definitely. That's where they make most of their money. Yeah. And so. (laughs) that's why my advice to anybody who wants to work with Apple and to make anything for them is to really listen to the feedback they give you and to pay attention to whatever new products they're releasing and to release apps that go along with that. I mean, when Apple released the iPhone 5, we stopped what we were doing and we made our app stretch to the iPhone 5 screen size, you know? Mm -hmm. If if you want to create software for the Mac, like, it's got to be Retina or you're not going to be playing by their rules, you know? Yeah. 
And when you go along with that too, Apple rewards it. I remember Marco, Marco Arment had the, the magazine that he put out that used uh, Apple's newsstand. And that was the first kind of big release because he has a big following, a lot of listeners, and he was able to bring that to his new product. But Apple loves when you use stuff that they want you to use they're Mm -hmm. like we release this new feature like okay you build something for that we're going to feature you everywhere you're going to get all the news and if you're one of the first people in that you're going to reap all those rewards yes i've seen them do that for lots of people so don't be behind the curve be ahead of the curve if possible now how do you do that if you're not going to like wwdc or or doing that kind of stuff is publicly available everybody ends up finding out about it as long as you're an apple developer and you have your apple developer certificate which is 99 dollars a year then you're getting in the announcements about every new product release that they have um there are videos that are released for wwdc every year and tons of documentation that comes out they want you to have this amazing new technology that they create it's kind of overwhelming like how much stuff there is well for ios 7 it sure was (laughs) ios 6 was no big deal (laughs) ios 7 comes out it's like we got a lot to learn this year yeah they yeah they changed everything so yeah, about learning and stuff like that. You teach as well, and you I have did. been I'm teaching, not teaching other people. Right now, you're not teaching. No, I've become so overwhelmed with work and all my musicals and stuff that I don't have time this year. Well, what sort of stuff were you doing? I was teaching. Um, I at work. I made this program called Learn Dev, where I was teaching women in New York City basic computer programming for free, and it was a very rewarding experience because. Not because I was working with underprivileged people in any way, which would have been rewarding on its own, but because I was working with people who are coming at computer programming the same way I did, with no knowledge whatsoever, and would do things like, you know, hit a few buttons, press enter, and then, oh my god, look what I just did. Make The great thing about software is that it's a craft that you can get immediate feedback from you can immediately see something that you did and as long as you can appreciate the tiny wins they all add up into a big thing one of the things that i find so amazing about being an iphone developer is that i'm constantly doing tiny tiny little things i guess all developers really have to do that i mean you look at a giant program or a giant website and you go oh how do i make a giant program or a giant website um why by doing thousands of tiny little things yeah that's all it is Learn some tiny little things and then do a bunch of them and you made something big. Now, why specifically women? Um, There is a terrible gender disparity in computer programming that a lot of people are addressing right now and hopefully trying to reverse the curve of. There are... I was looking around my office, and we only had one female person on our technology team, despite the fact that our office is about 50-50. I mean, we have a a female CEO, a a female... um, head executive under her our board of directors has i think it might have more women than men on it and yet we were completely reliant on technology we've built out a team of you know over a dozen people but we didn't we can't get any women to take these jobs that is odd you know yeah that is and i know that there other people are worried about the why that is and how to prevent that. But I just thought to myself, well, I'm just going to see what I can do to deal with it. Is it possible for me to inspire any women to um, feel confident enough to go out and, and learn computer programming? And so I don't know if any of them did end up getting jobs in it, but I realized that, there's, that if anybody out there is looking for something to do that can really change the world, it's that. There is a need, 
women are interested in it, they are definitely as smart as guys. I mean, it's not. There's no real physical reason why women can't be computer programmers. Yeah, one one of the amazing things that I noticed too that gives me a lot of hope is teaching my class the non-programmer's guide to getting an app in the App Store in New York City. Majority of my students, maybe like sixty percent, are women. Well, and they're also there. I, I know. I mean, there's lots of take of cultural study on why um, women are or are not going into the computer science field. But I think in many ways, women have something inherent to their culture that says, like, I can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. I can do this. I can go out and learn something new, and I'm and I'm open to change in a way that a lot of men may not be. So I think, I think we're just beginning to see, hopefully, a whole new wave of women coming into technology. They may come in older, and that's fine. Like, look at me. I was almost 30 when I came into computer programming. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was, taking, <laughs> I was taking direction from people who were younger than I am. I was being pushed around by kids, and I didn't care, you know? It doesn't matter. Put aside all of your pride and go out and change the world and change yourself. Yeah, it gives me a lot of hope for that, that kind of stuff. And get a plan with LearnVest. I say that everybody <laughs> out there needs to have a plan. No, really. I, I have a LearnVest account, and they really helped me manage all of my money and my funds and get a plan. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I've got my Roth IRA that I'm saving now. i got an emergency fund that I'm putting money in, and it's just been extremely helpful for everything. Like, really, I used to use Mint.com, which is the other one. and We call uh, that the Wild West. That's the Wild the West. you have to do on your own. Whereas at LearnVest, we have financial, certified financial planners that, that work with you to create the plan for you. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. So I highly recommend it. I totally forgot the name. Was it Sophia? Were you working with Sophia? It may have been. I, I last spoke to her maybe like four or five months ago. Oh, no, it's time so, for another check-in. I know. I, did, I know. I need to schedule it. Check-in. I know. Yeah. I need to. Um, Okay, so Will, thank you very much for being here. Where where can people find you? People can just write to me at will at learnvest.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for very much for being on the show. Thank you very much, Dan, and thank you for the work you do. <laughs> and there you have the very first episode of the Novice No Longer podcast. As Will said, you can email him at will at learnvest.com. And if you don't want to remember that, you can always go to novicenolonger.com. And I've got all of the show notes. I've got his email address. I've got everything there that you'll need. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe on iTunes. Please rate it. Rating it really helps other people find this podcast, so it would be really great. And subscribe to my newsletter at novicenolonger.com. And thank you for listening. I will see you next week.